Well, happy Easter to you. All right, God bless you. I'm glad you're here, and we have come for a wonderful day of celebration. I want to say, normally we do our, our announcements at the beginning, and we'll share that at the end, but I haven't had a moment yet to welcome all of you, especially our visitors. We have some family and friends in this morning, so whether it's your millionth time at Bone or your very first time, we're glad you're here this morning. We hope you're blessed in this time, blessed in our time of worship, blessed as we come and open the Word of God together on this awesome day of celebration. Also, before we get any further, I would just be remiss if I didn't say thank you to a few people. First of all, for the beautiful decorations that have been done, our living cross, for the work they've been getting into our sanctuary ready, for the things for our children, for our lunch. I, I can't, couldn't even call out all the names of people who have had a hand in getting today ready and all the things we'll be doing, but I appreciate them very much. So together, let's just praise the Lord and give thanks to those who have done such an awesome job. And I've, <clears throat> all of you have worked, you know who you are, and I appreciate you dearly for the effort that's been put in. I'm going to uh, start with something a little weird this morning. I'm a little bit of a weird guy, so, but I'm gonna, I want you to do something for me. I'm going to give you just a, a few seconds, five, ten seconds. I want you to think real quickly. I want you to make a list in your head. You don't need to shout it out. Just in your head, I want you to make a list of all the things that you have to do. Maybe like this week. All the things that you, you have to do. Just go ahead right now start kind of listing off in your head. Okay, I have to do this. I have to do that. The different roles you have, okay? One second, two seconds, that's enough, all right? Now, now you probably even just a few seconds, right? You've already gotten a bunch of things. I have to go to work. I have to, you know, get up in the morning. I have to eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I have to pay the bills. I have to drive the kids to school. I have to, I have to, I have to. Now, some of you said, I have to go to church this morning. But I want you to think, with all those things that you just have to do, if you think about it for a second, do you realize that you don't really have to do them? I mean, you say, well, I know I have to get up tomorrow morning. No, you don't. You, you have the choice to stay in bed. You say, well, I have to go to work. Well, no, you don't. You don't have to go. You, you just not, I mean, there'll be some consequences if you don't. But I guess you don't have to. I mean, some, some of you may be forgotten, but we've got to pay taxes in a couple of days. The thing I've been avoiding, you're like, I ha- well, I have to pay taxes. Well, technically, no, you don't. I hope nobody from the government's going to listen to this sermon recording and I'll be in trouble. But no, technically, you don't. They're choices. Now, see, this morning, people would have said, I, the pastor, have to come to church and preach a sermon. Well, no, technically I don't. Now, I could have stayed home this morning and said, I'll let somebody else handle that. Church can take care of itself. I had that option, didn't I? I had a choice to make. Now, if I made that choice, I probably also wouldn't be preaching next Sunday. Which turns out I am not preaching next Sunday. Somebody else is preaching for me. Uh-oh, I don't know, something's happening. No, I, I mean, I, there would have been consequences if I had stayed home. So the point of it is, I want you to understand that all those things you say you have to do, all the things you think you have to do this week, you don't have, you're not being forced into them. You have a choice. You get to decide whether you do them or not. You understand the consequences if you don't do them. 
This is so important. I, you know, in my own life, I try to think about this a lot. I try to stop and go, I don't have to do this. I get to choose if I do this. And I want to think about it for a moment and think, am I choosing the right thing? Many of you are going to get up and do those things this week that you say you have to do, but you're going to choose to do them because you know they're the right things to do. Well, see, this morning when we come in here and we celebrate the resurrection of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, when we sing that chorus, He is Lord, He is Lord, He is risen from the dead, and He is Lord. I want you to understand what we sing about, what we talk about, what I preach about. It's a choice. You don't have to follow Jesus. You don't have to accept Him, believe in Him. It's a choice. But it's a choice you have to make. You do have to at least make a choice. Now, Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to the Father except through me. He made a statement that is either true or false. We claim this morning by Scripture and by evidence that, that Jesus was not only died on the cross for our sins, but He rose again, and through faith in Him we have salvation. That's either true or it's false. There's no writing the fence. There's no either or. There's no, well, maybe is this and maybe is that. You either say, yes, I believe those things, that I believe that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life, the only way to heaven, or He's not. I mean, Jesus made it very clear that it's not a, well, I'm the way, but if you're good enough, that's another way. Or there's a few other ways you can get to the Father in heaven. No, he says, through me, I am the only way to heaven. That's either true or it's false. And you've got to make a choice. Now, I don't know what choice you've made. I can't see your heart. I don't know. That's between you and the Lord. Now, some of you, I hope, you know, many of you have already come in here this morning. And you say, I know I have made the choice to believe in Jesus, to believe to receive Him as my Savior. He is my Lord. Those things we read about, those things we celebrate on this day, I believe them by faith, and He is my Lord. And some of you may not be in that place, though. Some of you may be in that place of, I don't know. I mean, it's a tradition. We, you know, it's some, I don't know about somebody raising from the dead. And you may be thinking, well, maybe I'm just, I'm surely I'm good enough uh, Or I got taken to church when I was a kid. Surely that covers me. It's either true or it's false that by faith in Jesus is the only way to heaven. So what I want you to realize this morning, if I I could get you to take away a couple things this morning, is to realize that the choice is yours. In fact, that's our sermon title for this morning. The choice is yours. You have the opportunity to decide if you're going to believe in Jesus Christ as Savior or not. You have the power. You're not being forced into following Jesus to believe Him, to confess His name. The choice is yours. But what I also want you to see this morning, what I want you to understand, is I want you to be comfortable with the choice that you've made, that you believe it's the right choice. See, the problem is a lot of people, even if they realize it's a choice whether or not they follow Jesus Christ, they don't think about the importance of it. Yes, tomorrow when I wake up, i got choices to make, but those probably won't affect very much beyond just that day. 
But the choice we make in Jesus, whether we're going to believe Him as Savior or say, no, I can't accept it, has eternal consequences. Because either He is the way to heaven or He's not. The choice is yours. Now this morning, I'm a, again, I'm going to do another thing kind of weird. I'm going to preach. I, I want to bring a passage to you that I think clearly identifies the importance of the choice that you and I have. Now, I know most preachers, I, you're supposed to stand up on, on Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, and I'm supposed to preach from, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, or maybe Romans or 1 Corinthians, some a passage about the empty tomb and the resurrection. That's all wonderful, I'm not going that direction. We're going to look at a passage that my guess is probably nobody on, on Easter Sunday morning is going to study, but I think this is one of the most awesome passages that teaches the importance of the choice of if we're going to accept Jesus Christ or not. But I'm going to give you fair warning, though, right now. I want you to hear it from me. I want you to understand it. Here in a moment, we're going to turn to Scripture. We're going to read some things. We're going to study a few things together. But at first, in fact, at first, when we read through the Scripture, and then for a while after we talk about the Scripture, it's going to appear like it has nothing to do with Jesus, with the crucifixion, with the resurrection, with your salvation. It's going to look like it has nothing to do with it at all. I'm just telling you ahead of time. I don't want some of you out there getting your anger letters ready to me and say, well, Greg, you didn't preach this text you're supposed to preach on Easter Sunday morning. It's not going to sound like it makes sense. It's not going to even say the word Jesus. It's not going you know, to talk about salvation. It's none of that. But it so wonderfully illustrates the importance of the choice that is yours to make. So this morning we find ourselves in the Old Testament book, the book of Judges. Chapter 9. This is one of my favorite Old Testament passages this morning. It's an awesome text. Now, before we start reading, we're going to be in the first 21 verses through it. We're going to kind of take it in a couple pieces. Let me give you some background. Let me give you some understanding. I'm going to be quick about it. I know you did not come this morning for some long Old Testament biblical history lesson. So I'm going to give you quickly tell you what's going on. The book of Judges describes a time in the nation of Israel, God's chosen people. It's kind of like a golden era. See, God said to His people, He said, you are to have no king apart from Me. Don't be like the other nations who has a human king. I, God, am to be your king. It was supposed to be a theocracy. God as king. And the book of Judges describes a time where the people lived with no human king, but God as king. Now, that doesn't mean the people always did what's right. In fact, a lot of times, you know, sin started to settle in. They started to walk away from doing the things that God had done, God told them to do. So what did God do during this time that we read in the book of Judges? When things got bad, when the people got on track, he would raise up servant leaders to lead the people in revival, to get them out of the problems they had faced, and, and get them back on track with God. And those are the judges that we talk about in the book of Judges. Now, one of those judges is very well known. Well, several of them are, but one of the most well known is the guy named Gideon. You've probably heard that name before. Gideon, who's one of the awesome judges who led the people in a time of revival and getting them back with God. During the time of Gideon, the people had sinned. They had all kinds of issues. They started making idols to the false god Baal, and they were worshiping other, anything but God and sinning. And then God raised up Gideon, and Gideon just came in. He actually tore down, destroyed, destroyed all those idols. In fact, they renamed him Jerob Baal, which meant destroyer of Baal. He led them in revival, 
He led them back in military victory. He just did all these things that God used Gideon to get the people back on the right track. God used Gideon the mighty way. When we get to the end of Gideon's life and the people come to Gideon and say, Gideon, we love you. You're awesome. You're the best. This is Greg's translation, by the way. But they say to him, hey, Gideon, we want you to be king. And Gideon says, no way. Remember, God said there should be no king apart from him. I'm just here to be a servant leader. You're not going to make me king. No, thank you. He turns it down. The people say, oh, well. Well, when Gideon dies, we celebrate his life. But see, Gideon wasn't perfect. Gideon did a lot of good things, but one of the bad things he did was, let's just say he, had, uh, he wasn't a one-woman man, okay? Uh, he, we know of at least seven, we had 70 sons. It doesn't talk about the daughters. He was a busy man, okay? Can we just put it like that? He was a busy dude, you know? And he did what he wasn't supposed to do. It. And some of the kids he had wasn't even by his wives. So, all right, so Gideon didn't, he, wasn't, he messed up. The Bible's full of a lot of imperfect people, let me tell you, friends. And so when Gideon died, although he had done awesome things to God, he left behind a problem. He left behind this, all these kids, all these sons and daughters. When we get to chapter 9 here in Judges, we read about these sons. In fact, he's going to focus on two of them. One is called Abimelech, one's called Jotham. Now I'm going to tell you again, we're going to start reading the text right now. We're going to get in the Bible right now and look at it. Again, it's kind of odd. It's Seems like it has nothing to do with Easter Sunday morning, but I promise you it does. Let's look at it together and kind of understand. So whether you have your Bibles open or here on the screen, let's look at it together. Judges 9, starting verse 1, it says, Abimelech, son of Jeroboam, remember that's Gideon, went to his mother's brothers in Shechem and said to them and all his mother's clan, Ask all the citizens of Shechem, which is better for you? To have all 70 of Jeroboam's sons rule over you, or just one man. Remember, I am your flesh and blood. When the brothers repeated all this to the citizens of Shechem, they inclined to follow Abimelech, for they said, He is related to us. They gave him 70 shekels of silver from the temple of Belbereth, and Abimelech used it to hire reckless scoundrels who became his followers. He went to his father's home in Orphra, and on one stone murdered his 70 brothers, the sons of Jeroboam. But Jotham, the youngest son of Jeroboam, escaped by hiding. Then all the citizens of Shechem and Beth Milo gathered beside the great tree at the pillar in Shechem to crown Abimelech king. When Jotham was told about this, he climbed up on top of Mount Gerizim and shouted to them, Listen to me, citizens of Shechem, so that God might listen to you. Now, we're going to really quickly pause right there. Now, if you've got your Bible open, keep it open, but don't keep on reading, because you've got to understand something before we go on. Now, really quickly, I'm going to make it simple. Is Abimelech a good guy or bad guy? So I'm like, I don't know what he just read. I'm not sure. Let me tell you, if you missed it, he's a bad guy, right? Abimelech, who's one of the sons of Gideon, he gets up one day and says, hey, I want to be king. In fact, something really interesting here. You know, in our day and age, a lot of times we name our children just because the name sounds good. We did our sons, Peyton and Parker, because we like the sound of the name. But in Bible times, those names had a lot of meaning. In fact, Abimelech's name means my father is king. Now, when his father Gideon named him, the intent was to show Abimelech, to remind Abimelech, your father God, the Heavenly Father, is king. 
But somewhere along the line, over the ages, some, I don't know if Abimelech was dropped on his head or made fun of in school. I don't know what happened. But at some point along the line, he just started thinking, you know what? I should be king. And my name says my father's king. I should be king. So Abimelech gets it in his head. I should be king, but I got a problem. I got all these brothers. I guess they could make the same claim as I could. So what should we do about him? Eh, let's kill him. Not a good dude, right? So he gets, the, gets some money, hires some reckless men. It says, and he goes and gathers all his brothers up and on one stone does them all in. Gets rid of them. He goes back home to Shechem, which is the capital at that time. He goes back home. Hey, look, I got rid of all my brothers. And the people said, hey, that's a guy that takes initiative. Let's make him king. And do they make him king? They anoint him, put the crown on him, and all is good. Well, as you kind of heard in the story, there's one of the brothers that survived, the youngest, the baby of the family, a guy named Jotham. Jotham, he had hid, so he didn't get, he wasn't with all the other brothers when they were killed. Now, I'm thinking Abimelech must have gone, you know what, who cares that Jotham got away? He knows what I did the rest of my brothers. He wouldn't come within a thousand miles of me. But Jotham's got another plan. Now, I don't want to spoil the end of how this turns out, but actually Jotham does have to flee for his life because he knows his, that if he hangs around his brother too long, he's a dead guy. But he says before he runs to the hills, Jotham, this little youngest brother, shows up to where Abimelech and all the other people are, and he stands up on the hillside above all them and begins to speak. He says, hey, everybody, listen up. I got something to say. Now, real quick, here's why I stopped where we, where we did in the reading. Imagine you're Jotham. Put yourself in his sandals for a second. What would you say to your brother and all those people who just crowned him king? If, if all of your family had just been slaughtered and killed, and you barely escaped with your life, and you got about five minutes until they come up that hillside and grab you and do you in as well, what are you going to say? You're going to curse your brother's name? You're going to vow revenge? You're going to spread a bunch of nasty rumors about him? What would you say? I wonder. No matter what you could come up with, what you would say in that moment, I promise you, I guarantee you, you wouldn't have said what Jotham said. I want you to say, the first time I read this passage, we're about to look at it real quickly. I looked at it and said, what? Why did he say that? I mean, it seems to make no sense. In fact, I'll tell you, when he says, hey, everybody listen up, what he does is he tells a story. A little parable, like a fable. It's going to sound like a little kid's story. It's like, hey, everybody, listen up. I know you just killed all my brothers, but I've got this little story to tell you. Listen up. I mean, it's weird. I'm going to tell you, it's not what you expect him to say. It's odd. doesn't seem to make any sense. But this story, I'm going to tell you, if you'll stick with me, stay involved for just a few moments. Hear what he has to say. Understand what it means. I promise you there's a blessing in this that is not readily evident before you in Scripture. So I want you to, Jotham, he's right there, he's above everybody. He's, i got my five minutes to tell my story. What does he say? Let's look back at Scripture, starting up in verse 8. This is what Jotham says to everybody. One day, the trees went out to anoint a king for themselves. Okay, wait a second, did y'all just get that? Remember, he just killed all his brothers. He said, hey everybody, let me tell you the story about some trees. They want, they want to make a king. Okay, are you, are you with me that this is odd? Okay, so look, he was, one day the trees went out to anoint a king for themselves. 
they said to the olive tree, Be our king. But the olive tree answered, Should I give up my oil, by which both God and humans are honored to hold sway over the trees? Next, the trees went to the fig tree, Come and be our king. But the fig tree replied, Should I give up my fruit so sweet, so good and sweet to hold sway over the trees? Then the tree said to the vine, Come and be our king. But the vine answered, Should I give up my wine, which cheers both God and humans to hold sway over the trees? Finally, all the trees said to the thorn bush, Come and be our king. The thorn bush said to the trees, If you really want to anoint me king over you, come and take refuge in my shade. But if not, then let fire come out of the thorn bush and consume the cedars of Lebanon. Real quick, we're going to just keep a few more verses. Verse 16, he says, Have you acted, he's speaking to the people, have you acted honorably and in good faith by making Abimelech king? He's saying, have you made the right choice? Have you been fair to Jeroboam and his family? Have you treated him as he deserves? Remember that my father fought for you and risked his life to rescue from the hand of Midian. But today you have revolted against my father's family. You have murdered his 70 sons on a single stone and have made Abimelech, the son of his female slave, king over the citizens of Shechem because he's related to you. So have you acted honorably and in good faith towards Jeroboam and his family today? If you have, may Abimelech be your joy and may you be his too. But if you have not, let fire come out from Abimelech and consume the citizens of Shechem and Beth Milo. Let fire come out from you, the citizens of Shechem and Beth Milo, and consume Abimelech. And verse 21 tells us, Then Jotham fled, escaping to Beir, where he lived there because he was afraid of his brother Abimelech. Now, all of you are probably going, why are we talking about a story of a bunch of trees and a guy who killed all of his brothers and another one who came and told a weird story? What does this have to do where this is Easter Sunday, we're supposed to talk about just the resurrection, what's going on? Let me give you a quick explanation of what Jotham is trying to say. He tells the story of the trees. Now, the first three trees, they all say the same thing, right? The trees go to it and say, be our king. And the tree says, why should I give up doing what God made me to do to be a king? To hold, it says to hold sway, to hold authority over all, everybody else. Why should I do this? See, Jotham told that part of the story to symbolize how his father had lived, how you are to live, how I'm supposed to live, to know what God made you for and to do it. Simple as that. But there's a whole other part of the story, right? He says, but the, the trees went to the thorn bush or to the bramble called in hebrew it's called the atad tree and he says we want you to be our king in fact what it says is extremely important if you'll stick with me for this it's going to make it's going to make sense it's going to be interesting to you Mary, he goes they go to the thorn bush the bramble come be our king listen to what the, that the bramble the thorn bush said in jotham's story the thorn bush said of the tree if you really want to anoint me king over you. I know it's not readily apparent in what we read today in our language, but let me tell you what's behind the scenes. You heard the word anoint. 
In Hebrew, in the original language of the Bible, it's the word mashak. It's where we get the word Messiah. In fact, when we refer to Jesus the Messiah, Jesus Hamashiach, it's Jesus the Anointed One. That's what Messiah literally means, to be anointed, to be chosen, to be placed in a position of authority, to be made king. When we refer to Jesus as the Messiah, we're saying He has been anointed as ruler, as authority, as king. So what's going on in this old passage is the bramble bush, the thorn bush, that old Atad tree is saying, if you really want to make me a Messiah, a king, a savior. See, the story is dealing about messiahs, about saviors, about anointed rulers and authorities. But Jotham's story is this. He's saying, the thorn bush says, come rest in my shade. What is a thorn bush? What does a bramble not have? Shade. It's a lie. It's a false promise. Saying, oh, come rest in my shade. You go try to take a nap under a thorn bush, it's going to be a pretty painful experience. In fact, that tree in, in the Bible, in the Middle East, which is still there today, it is the scourge of every farmer, shepherd that's in the land. If you get it in a Todd tree, a thorn bush, a bramble, it, what is it, its roots go down so deep, it sucks up all the water, it kills all the vegetation next to it, it hurts people, hurts animals, it causes all kinds of problems. You can only get rid of it by burning it. You don't want to have a bramble out in your field, but they actually are everywhere. So what Jotham is saying He is trying to compare Abimelech, the older brother. He's saying he is a false Messiah. He is a false king. You are anointing someone. You are putting someone over you that is false. And he says to the people, get this, he says at the end of his story, if you have chosen rightly... If you have done, had the right choice in putting Abimelech over you, making him your Messiah, then God bless you. You'll be his joy. He'll be yours. All is great. Okay. But if you have chosen wrongly, if he is the false Messiah that I'm telling you that he is, it is going to destroy you and you him. That's a pretty strong statement. If you've chosen right... Is to your blessing. If you've chosen wrong, it's to your destruction. I'm, and he's saying, I'm telling you, look at the signs. He's a false Messiah. He's a false king. He's making false promises to you. Don't choose him, is what Jotham's story is. And then he runs off. Now, what does this have to do with us today? Do you remember when Jesus was arrested? He was put on trial. He was beaten, he was mocked, he was scorned. Before they sent him to the cross, before they nailed him up on that tree, remember what they placed on his head? The crown of thorns. From the Atad tree, from the bramble, that's all about that land. Those long, painful thorns. Do you know what they were doing that day when they put the crown of thorns on his head? See, there wasn't a a Hebrew speaker in the crowd who didn't understand the significance, the symbolism behind that crown of thorns. 
Well, you know what they were saying of Jesus with this? They were saying to him, you are a false king. You are a false messiah. You are the thorn bush, the bramble king that we remember back with Abimelech. They're saying, we're not making that mistake again. He ruined us. And that's what happens in the story of Abimelech. He kills his people. His people end up killing him. I mean, it's just a mess. They're saying to Jesus, you are a false messiah. When they put on his head, they are mocking him as king and saying, you are false. You know what they're doing? They're making their choice. We are rejecting you. They remember the story of the trees. They remember the story of the bramble, the thorn bush. And how Jotham said, choose wisely. And the people that day, they made their choice. Nope, not going to follow him. He's not the kind of king I want. We're going to call him and mock him as a false messiah. And from that time on, friends, from that moment forward, from all the days from that until now, people are still making the decision whether they're going to place this on Jesus' head or not. They're either going to say, you are a false king. I'm not going to believe in you. I'm not going to follow you. You will not be Lord of my life. I'm not going to buy into all that nonsense from so long ago. You either choose that way, or you choose to say, he is a living God who died on the cross for my sins, who went to the grave, who did what nobody else could do, rose from the grave three days later, defeated sin and death, and by faith in Him I am saved. Friends, you are making one choice or another. And this story, this old story out of the book of Judges that doesn't seem to make any sense about the resurrection, about the life of Jesus Christ, is telling us one huge lesson. Choose wisely. Choose wisely. Because if you choose right, and God bless you, you're going you're gonna to be the joy of God and He to you. If you choose right, If you choose wrong, if you put a false Messiah over you, if you reject Jesus and say something else is going to save me and you are wrong, it is destruction. It is going to be the cost of everything for you. Choose wisely. Friends, I'm here to tell you, I am not coming this morning to try to convince you. I'm not going to come in here and try to say, well, here's this evidence and here's that evidence. Here's why you should believe that. The choice is yours and it must be made. You may be thinking, I don't have to. I'll deal with that one day. You're making a choice right now. Everybody falls on one side or the other. Because Jesus said, I am the only way. Faith in Christ is the only way. That's either true or it's false. Which side are you on and are you happy with your choice? Now, if you haven't been thinking about it a lot lately, then I would say you better pay attention. You better wise up and think about this is a choice that matters. Is He my Lord or is He not? 
because it makes all the difference in the world. I don't want anybody to choose, I reject Jesus. I know that they do. I don't want it to happen, but I know it happens. And if you, that's you this morning, I will keep telling you and keep preaching to you, and I will be there until you're ready to accept. But I can't make you. And if you're saying, I can't follow that, I hope, you, I hope one day some truth opens to you. I hope that you can walk out today. I have peace over my decision. Because there's no middle ground, friends. He's either Messiah or he's not. And in my life, for me, for all the things I see, for all the things I know, for all the, the work that has been done, I will say gladly, he is not a false Messiah. He is a true living Messiah, and I, He is mine. I'll accept it by faith. Can I explain everything? Do I understand all the workings of God? No, but I will say He is my Messiah, and I'm comfortable with my choice. Here's the best news, friends. Before we dismiss, before we go on to our next thing, here's the best news. You can always change your mind. Because if you've been saying, uh-uh, not for me. Can't deal with it. Can't accept it. I'm going to run from it. I don't need Lord over me. You know what? Jesus still died for the people who mocked him. And he still died for those who said, you are a false king and Messiah. Christ still died for them. He died for you. Even if every other day of the year, this means nothing to you. He still died for you. And even if you have rejected him and lived apart from him and cursed his name, he is ready to receive you, forgive you, and say, come on, let's get the choice made right. you still got some time. Let's do it right now. All I want you to know this morning, before we go anywhere else, before we go on the next thing, you have a choice. What is it? What you have to do is decide one way or the other. I'm going to ask this morning that we begin to pray before God. Could you just bow your heads, close your eyes, just go for the Lord, you and Him, in this very moment. We're going to have a time of invitation in a while. We'll sing, we'll pray, we'll have a chance for you to respond. But right now, I don't want you worried about anything else, anybody else, except you and God. Can you say with peace and assurance and with confidence you know the decision you have made? Have I asked you that you're, if you're perfect? No, because I know you're not perfect. Because I know I'm not perfect. You, you and God, right now, don't worry about anything else going on. Do you know the decision you have made? Do you know the choice you've made? Have you made it purposefully, willfully, intentionally, with intention that you are a Christ follower? I just want you to know this morning that the choice is yours and you have to decide. So this morning, before we pray, before we respond, before we have this moment, I want to pray for you. And after we do, so as we sing, you have a chance to come forward. You may need to grab the hand of uh, my hand or hand of another leader or somebody else and to say, pray with me. But I want to pray for you this morning. This morning, I'm going to ask that right now, you don't need to worry about anybody else in here, anything else going on. But if you need prayer this morning, 
I want you to let me know that right now. If you need prayer, whether it's coming to Christ for the very first time, or you're saying, you know, I believe that He is Lord, but I really haven't been living out. It's time for me to get back into it. I want to pray for you. So this morning, just, just as you are, not worry about anything else, would you just quickly raise a hand so I can know how to pray for you this morning? So I can be praying for you, blessed person, that, that God is doing something in your life. I just want, don't worry about anybody else going on this morning. You and God say, I need to, I want prayer today. Just a, a hand up real quick. And I want to pray for you today. God bless you. Thank you. He says, I need prayer today. You may know your choice, but you're saying, hey, I got to get back to doing the right thing. I've been walking away from it. Would you just pray for me, Brother Greg? Put a hand up in there real quick. I want to say, God bless you. I want to pray for you. Don't miss an opportunity. Amen. Hands can be raised. They pray for me today. Heavenly Father, we come and we thank you. We praise you for this opportunity to be in your house. We thank you for the privilege to glorify your great name. Father, I want to pray for those who this morning says, I need prayer. I want this morning to pray over those who desperately need to live out the choice of salvation in Jesus Christ. Some have struggled. God, some, they haven't made that choice. They haven't made the choice of saying, yes, Lord, and they need it. God, there's some who's struggling with it. They're saying, I know I made the choice. I'm a follower, but I haven't been living it. God, there's some who are admitting that this morning. Says, I just need some help and some encouragement. God, help us remember by faith we live this out. God, I pray for that encouragement over that hurting person, that needy person, the person who just desperately needs you this morning. May God bless you. God, would you bless these people? Would you teach them? Would you instruct them? Would you convict them? Would you move them unto the response of your will? God, we thank you. We praise you by the powerful name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.